are the one who is the Lord, that you are our God and our King. Father, that's the truth, that's the reality. Help us now to express that fully, not just in our worship here, but Lord, in the way that we live as we leave this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just introduce what I'm going to share with you today by means of a story. And this is a, a pious old lady saw a beautiful parrot in the pet shop window. The owner warned her that the bird had picked up shocking language from its former owner, a merchant seaman. But the old lady insisted that she was a match for this and that she could curb this bird's filthy habits. Sure enough, on the very first day, the parrot swore, using quite a few words that the old lady had heard before, but that she knew were dreadfully she grabbed the parrot from the in the freezer. <laughs> Stay here for a few minutes, she told the parrot, and perhaps the freezing cold will improve your vocabulary. As his eyes grew accustomed to the dark, the parrot noticed a frozen chicken and said, I hate to even think what kind of words you've been using. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's make a, a beginning by saying that it's not just this pious old lady, but the Lord himself is concerned about the kind of language that his people use. Just an example. In Ephesians 5.4, talking there of what it's improper for God's people to say. It says there, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, out of place among God's people. And maybe there's been about a slippage in this area over recent years. But you know, what concerns the Lord even more is what we're going to look at now. This third commandment of Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold guiltless, though anyone who misuses his name. Now, what we're talking about here is, is quite obviously what we commonly term blasphemy. The misuse of the Lord's name, that is the taking of the Lord's name in vain. Something which now I have to say, it seems for many, is seen, it seems, as a kind of lower-grade swearing to the extent that it's now become commonplace. Blasphemy really is all around us, and certainly it's become part and parcel of the arts and entertainment world. One of the, the most extreme examples of this was the, the film, The Last Temptation of Christ, a film that's that's based on speculation about the supposed sexual fantasies of Jesus. Now, I'm sure as many of us can remember, this was a film that aroused a, an understandable storm of protest. Sadly, though, the only effect of all this was to give it publicity and increase the, the box office of what actually was a very poor film that otherwise would in all likelihood have gone unnoticed. Certainly it wasn't effective in keeping this film out of our cinemas and later off of our television screens. We don't see it anymore now because it is rotten anyway. But anyway, an earlier example of something similar to this was the, the Monty Python film, The Life 
of Brian. For this was a film that, again, many Christians protested about, with the only result being, again, increased publicity, leading inevitably to increased profit for those who made this film. The Christian public, though, was divided on this one, for there were those, and I can remember this, there were those who felt that this wasn't actually a film about Jesus, but that it was, rather, a film about an imaginary, very ordinary, bumbling Galilean called Brian, who was stumbled on by a group of naive men who mistakenly took him for the Messiah and then became his followers. Well, reading around I came upon a piece of information that I think clarifies this once and for all, and that is the original title that was proposed for this film was The Life of Jesus. You see, this was nothing other than a sly, underhand, blasphemous attack on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, maybe ten years or so ago, we had the infamous Jerry Springer, the opera, with its attacks on Jesus Christ and on various other aspects of the Christian faith. Now, I want to say here, personally, I'm not too sure, as I'll explain later, about the wisdom of getting involved in protests that that kind of focus on particular films or or particular television programs. I'll, I'll talk about that later. But all of this, though, leading up to the situation as it now stands in this country, regarding blasphemy. What this has led up to is is this has all produced a variety of different responses. Among these, there are those who say that the blasphemy law is now so widely ignored by those who are in authority that it's perhaps best just to finally clear things up once and for all and take it officially off the statute books. And those who want absolute freedom of speech, those who want the right to say Whatever we want, whenever we want, about anyone or anything among them, no doubt, incidentally, the actor Martin Clunes, who a few years ago prophesied that obscene language was now so much part and parcel of day-to-day life that soon it would be an acceptable part of children's TV. Now, people with that kind of outlook, I've no doubt, would love to see as part of this the removal of the blasphemy law. But others, though, in our multicultural, pluralistic, so-called tolerant society, they say that if we're going to have a blasphemy law, then it should be extended to protect not just the Christian faith, but rather all faiths. I want to say here that the infamous Salman Rushdie affair, where, remember, the Iranian government placed a fatwa, a death sentence on his head for things he had written that they felt were an insult to Islam, that that and the more recent massacres at Charlie Hebdo in in Paris, I think things like this should make us very, very wary of extending the blasphemy law. Because Muslim sensitivities and their reactions are very much more extreme than the Christian kind of reaction. My my own view is just to say that, that as I've said, I don't think that we should get too involved in one-off protests that can so easily become sensationalist and can actually lead to the opposite effect to that which we intend, that actually just serve to give publicity to things that we know are dishonouring to God. But what I believe, and this is my own personal belief, what I believe we should do 
is make a stand. That in general, the current blasphemy laws in our country should actually be recognized and upheld. And I think that this is something that we should consistently do. As we'll see later, we should do this, and we should do it for our sake and for the sake of our nation as well as for the glory of God. However, you know, whatever our laws might be, that's not really what's important. No, what's important, what really matters, is what God commands. And God commands us not to blaspheme. That is a commandment of God, not a suggestion not a request. That is a commandment of God. With again, and we're here we're, we're going to explore this later, again there are being implications, there are being repercussions for us if we choose to ignore this command. Listen again to Exodus 27. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. But all of this, I think, provokes some questions that I believe that we need to try and answer. Like question one, why should we be so concerned about blasphemy? I mean, why is something like this just so important that it finds its place in the Ten Commandments as part of God's fundamental moral code for all mankind for all time? Why? Well, it's all tied up in a name, in the importance of a name. For you see, in the Bible, a name speaks of certain things. First, it speaks of reputation. It speaks of the reputation of the person who bears that name. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says that a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. And of course, as, as we think of, of a name then and a reputation, the only reputation that really matters, that really should matter for a believer, is a reputation for true godliness, is a reputation for walking in close fellowship with the Lord, a reputation for living a life of true obedience to God, a reputation of being someone from whose life his love and holiness shine. And as we think of all of this, we, we can't help, can we? But think of the one for whom all this and far beyond was true. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one who Paul tells us in Philippians 2, has the name that is above every name. That are the name of Jesus Every knee should bow, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. No one has a greater reputation. No one has a more wonderful name than Jesus. Now you see, the people of biblical times had a very strong allegiance to this link between name and reputation. So they then named their children very, very carefully. When they chose a name for their child, they chose one whose meaning in some way reflected something of the desires, the hopes that they had for that child. 
But not only does a name speak of reputation, of a desired reputation, no, it can also speak of character, of the character of a person. In that there are instances in the Bible where God gives prophetic insight by name into what the character of that person actually will be. And of course, the most obvious example of this is again, Jesus. In Luke 1, 32, Mary is told by an angel, God's messenger, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. With this name Jesus, meaning basically Savior. You see, the character of the Son of God was built into this name. So then, a name can be not only about a desire for reputation, but also a prophecy of character, of what the actual character of that person will be. Finally here, a name can also carry a sense of authority. For you see, in the early chapters of Genesis in, in creation, God brought things into being then by naming them. For instance, Genesis 1-3, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And then when God created man, the pinnacle of his creation, as a sign that man was to have authority as a steward over the rest of creation, man was then told to name the animals, to name all the living creatures, Genesis 2.19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever man called each living creature, that was his name, its name. You see, man's authority was demonstrated in him being given the privilege of naming these creatures. Now, I will remember an example of the, the authority of a name personally, and that, that was when Prince Charles came to Lerwick in Shetland, and I was there as part of the Millennium celebrations. Now, crowds of people came along to see him. I'd never seen so many people in Shetland all together, all at the same time, same place. I never knew there were so many people in Shetland. They said they weren't there because of Prince Charles's reputation or his character. They weren't because this was the time when his popularity was probably at an all-time low. It was just not that long after the death of Diana. No, rather, people were there because when they heard his name, it spoke to them of someone of importance, of someone with authority. So they then wanted to take the opportunity to see this man. Now, and this is so important. All that we've said about a name here applies with interest to the name of the Lord. Just an example in that famous incident where the Lord revealed himself to Moses and, and Moses then asked him and said that if he was to go to the Israelites, who was he to say that had, had sent him? Do you remember what God said to Moses? Exodus 3.14 God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Now you see, what is that? 
but a statement of the reputation, of the character, and of the authority of God. I am. That is, that this is a God who can't be placed in a box. That this is a God who is unsurpassable. This is a God of power and of might and of majesty and glory. I am who I am. What the Lord, I think, is also saying here is that I can be known. Great God that I am, I've made it possible that you can know me. And you know, somebody who really got a hold of this, what this means was, was David. Remember his confrontation with the, the giant Goliath. And you can read all about it in 1 Samuel 17. But the key moment in all this is when David goes out to meet Goliath, unable to fit into, not wanting to wear the king's army. So he goes out to meet him, armed only with his little sling and his five smooth stones. And we're told that then that, that Goliath despised Jacob. Sorry, despised David. Where did Jacob come from? Despised David. That he said to him, 1 Samuel 17, 43, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. I just think, you know, in a lovely way with words, it's a bit uh, of a step up from the usual Scottish, come here, I'm going to do you in. But there you are. Listen, though. But listen, this is what matters. Listen to David's reply. This is what David says to this massive Goliath. He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have despised. And you see what David's saying? He's saying, listen, Goliath, big as you are, mighty as you are, great as you are, I can face up to you because I know my God. Because I know his character, because I know who he is, because I know his reputation, I know what he's done. And because I know his authority, I know his power, I know what he can do. And so, Goliath, you can keep your swords and your spears. I come in the name of the living God. So the name of God then reflects his character, his reputation, his authority. And God is concerned about his name. God is concerned when his character, reputation, and authority are treated with disregard. Now, now listen here. I mean, for you or I to be concerned about these kind of things in, in regard to ourselves, that could well be seen as us being a bit big-headed. You know, us thinking a bit too much about ourselves. But let's be clear. It is not pride for the God who is Lord, who is perfect, who is mighty and all-powerful. It is not pride for him to expect to be seen and treated in this way because for him to do otherwise would be for him to stop actually being himself. And when we disregard this, when we do misuse the name of the Lord, then I believe this does have repercussions both at the individual level and for society as a whole. Now, 
Some of these repercussions we, I don't think, will know about or have to face up to it until the last day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But how about this? Let me suggest this for something here and now. So many people today, the vast majority, I believe, of our nation, are concerned about the moral state of this country at this time. Concerned about the casual violence, concerned about the lawlessness, concerned about the, moral, the immorality that's become the norm, concerned about the disregard for authority, concerned that these things at times seem almost ready to overwhelm the last vestiges of decency. And there are many, many people in our country today who want a return to morality, who want to go back. But you know, they want morality, but they don't want God. They don't want God. Well, let me tell you now, you cannot have absolute truth. You cannot have right and wrong. You cannot have a true morality without an absolute reference point, without an absolute beginning. You can't have it without God. Because without God, who decides what's right and wrong? Without God, who decides what's true and what's false? And let me say, here I think is the crunch point here, and I think we've reached it, that we may well have begun to lose God, that we may well have begun to remove the reality of God from our society when His name and the name of His Son became a casual, low-grade curse. So where we are then today as a society, I believe may well be at least in part the result of God's judgment on a people who have dishonored him, who have dishonored his name. I want to finish just briefly by asking one other question. We've looked at why should we be so concerned about blasphemy? Well, here's question two. What is blasphemy? What actually is it now? Of course, the simple, the correct answer to this, and we've already you know, been covering this, is that it is misuse of God's name. And we'd kind of like to leave it there, I think. Leave it out there, distant from ourselves, and kind of say you know, that it's, it's people who aren't believers. It's people who use God's name maybe as a curse. It's they who are guilty of blasphemy, and that's where it belongs, and it's out there. Well, it is. It is, and they are. They are guilty of blasphemy. But you know, I wonder sometimes, is it only them? Are there maybe other ways in which we can misuse God's name? How about when we use God's name selfishly? You know, when we, we claim to be doing something in the name of the Lord and for the sake of the Lord, but when really our motivation is at best mixed, when a lot of what we're doing, we're really doing for our own sakes. We're doing it because we want the plaudits. We want the praise. We want the attention. You know, it's a strange thing about the physiology of some Christians that unless they get regular pats on the back, their nose goes out of joint. Strange phenomenon. And this kind of thing can extend in, in different ways to prayer. I read somewhere a, a little while ago that one of the reasons perhaps why our prayers seldom seem to be answered in the kind of positive way that we hope is because we put all our begs in one asket. 
You see, sometimes our prayers can be so self-centered. They can be. We're living today in a world that's dying without Christ. We're living today in a world where appalling suffering is going on right now in that city of Aleppo in Syria. But sometimes you can listen and you hear prayers that would almost lead you to believe that the person praying was the only person on this earth. Prayers that are all about them. Prayers that are not about God's glory, but they're about their comfort and their well-being. And then they add, for Jesus' sake, in Jesus' name, to the end of their prayers. Well, I ask you, is God pleased by that? Or is God offended? What do you think? And then there are instances when we, we use the name of God thoughtlessly. And one example of this is what I would call are caricatures of God. You know, and we, we use his name thoughtlessly. We then stick God's name onto our caricatures. You know, when we present God as some kind of foreboding judge whose only kind of reason for existence is just to, to get people. Or when we present him as some kind of senile old grandpa figure who doesn't mind whatever we do, who will just keep on loving us and that's okay, don't worry about a thing. When we present God in these kind of ways, and when we, by doing that, add to the misunderstanding of God that's already widespread in our world, then I think we're misusing the name of God. And that does displease Him. Now here, I just want to say, if, if you want to avoid doing this, if you want to avoid caricaturing God, then I would say to you, just always make sure that you get at least a balance between His holiness and his love. Always seek to do that. And just incidentally, here's a little witnessing tip for you. The next time someone says to you, I don't believe in God, just ask them a question. What kind of God is it that they don't believe in? Now, almost inevitably, that will be some kind of caricature of God. It will be a falsehood. So you can then come in and say to them, I don't believe in that kind of God either. And then you can go on to speak of the kind of God you do believe in, the God who revealed himself in love and holiness in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, a God who in every way is consistent with his name. Now, I don't want to frighten or scare anyone today. All I want to do is encourage us all, each one of us, to think and then to use God's name with the kind of respect and the kind of honour it's due. Let's not just add God's name carelessly to things. Let's make sure when we pray that God's glory really is what matters to us. Let's make sure that God really is in what we're praying for. Let's seek to determine that. Because I want to say again, remember when we deal with God's name, we're dealing with with something sacred, something unimaginably precious. That's why this commandment is there. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Let's make sure, as God's people, that we honor his name. Let's be a people who bring glory to the name of our God. Let's pray.
Father, we want to thank you.